It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. The many Mexican cartels of the last few decades have developed into what the U.S. government sees as not only criminal, but geopolitical enemies, joining the ranks of the Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Russian hackers, etc. Which means the full force of American surveillance has been aimed at groups like Los Cetas, or the Sinaloa cartel, once led by the infamous El Chapo. They call him El Chapo, or Shorty, for his small 5'6 frame, but his legend is enormous. But when it comes to hackers and cybersecurity, there isn't a lot of talk on how cartels view their own online safety. So today, we're talking to Vice News reporter Keegan Hamilton, who's intimately covered the cartels from inside Mexico. Trust me, this man has a lot of guts, and he's on the show to chat with us this week. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So Keegan, thank you for coming to Cyber to talk about cartels, something we haven't done before on the show. Uh, pleasure to be here. Excited to have this conversation. So you're well known for doing some very scary shit uh, across Mexico, uh, dealing with some of the more violent individuals there that have been involved with several different of the cartels, because now I think there's been, you know, there was the Los Setas and it's just moved on and now it's CJNG, which you did this really really amazing podcast and uh, reporting for Vice News reports on that. And, you know, you spent a lot of time with these kinds of individuals who clearly are of interest to, you know, not only U.S. intelligence agencies and law enforcement, but Mexican authorities as well. So they've gotten uh, to some degree, whether it's high tech or low tech, pretty good at evading authorities and and, you know, having some measure of operational security. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, has there ever been any instances where the cartels have used hackers? Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the the most, I think, best well-known ones at this point uh, came out uh, in 2019 and, and early 2020 during El Chapo's trial. Uh, I covered that for Vice, and we, we made a whole podcast series about Chapo. Tens of thousands have died in the U.S. and Mexico because of him. And tonight at 10, we are tracking a big development. Mexican drug kingpin has been extradited to the U.S. to face charges for his role as the head of the cartel. I'm Keegan Hamilton, and this is Chopper. Uh, which anyone interested should check it out. Uh, but in the trial, one of the key witnesses was a Colombian hacker who was recruited uh, first by El Chapo to to build sort of like a a boutique encrypted communications network for him and his inner circle. And then later, that guy was recruited to be an informant by the FBI, who uh, provided them recordings of uh, dozens and dozens of El Chapo's phone calls and also helped them uh, GPS locate El Chapo and, and other key members of his organization. Now, who who was actually? I remember this story, and who was actually geolocating him? Was this was this the FBI? Yeah, the the FBI, uh, Department of Homeland Security, and DEA were all sort of working together uh, to get El Chapo in in the sort of the the twenty teens, early twenty teens, is when this was going down, and after they had recruited this this informant who was. Uh, we don't know much about him. We don't even know his real name. He he testified under the name Christian Rodriguez. Uh, that's a pseudonym. Uh, they couldn't even release 
pictures of him without blurring the photos because they're so worried about his security. He he was initially a hacker. We don't again we don't, we don't know exactly who he was or what he did, but some of the testimony that came out was that he hacked for fun into the U.S. energy grid, and his sort of skills in this world attracted the attention of uh, Colombian organized crime groups. He, he was in Colombia. One of those groups that recruited him was a main cocaine supplier to El Chapo. And sort of that Colombian kingpin uh, recommended this guy basically for a job with Chapo. Uh, and then that ultimately led to his downfall as, as that scrutiny attracted law enforcement attention. They recruited this hacker to a meeting in, the FBI did, to a, a meeting in New York by posing as uh, Russian mob members who needed their own encrypted comms network. And so this guy shows up thinking he's going to get another lucrative uh, organized crime job. And it's the FBI saying, help us or else. This honestly sounds like a pulp, like a pulp, pulp crime story. (laughs) Like the fact that this, this hacker kind of moves in and out of, you know, like the Russian, the Russian mafia wants a piece of them and to create something for them. And now, you know, you have like a recommendation from a Colombian cartel to, to Chapo. Like that's, it's kind of like, it just seems like a CSI Cybercrime episode. <laughs> it's almost stranger than fiction in a lot yeah. of ways. And I think it's 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 telling of how desperate these organizations are for good tech support, basically, for like somebody that, who can who can help them protect their communications. And also how how sort of naive both sides are and, and how the weaknesses of these organizations of not being tech savvy can can burn them uh, pretty badly in, in the case of El Chapo. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this is something that comes up a lot. There was, you know, there was even a case of uh, this, 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 he was part of the Canadian spy apparatus and he was selling encrypted phones to the different criminal organizations. And when it came up, it sort of showed that, you know, you have these criminal, these, these large international syndicates that are literally going to anyone who says they're legitimate to give them, you know, encrypted communications because, you just assume that they think that they're completely being watched. I mean, gone are the days of just worrying that, you know, the, the, your phone call is being bugged. Now you really got to know what your text messages say and, and whether or not the networks you're engaging with, the cell towers you're engaging with are, are in fact safe. Yeah. And that, that was also a factor in El Chapo's downfall. I mean, he, he recruited this, this guy. And then after it went South, uh, they switched to BlackBerry communication which back in the day was uh, everybody thought was the most secure, unbreakable sort of communication of its time. Like, you know, Obama had a BlackBerry when he first took office, that kind of thing. Look, I, I was this cool high tech guy when I got there. Right. Yeah. And I was the first president to have a BlackBerry. And so <laughs> years pass and no one else has BlackBerry. So they were using these um, encrypted BlackBerry messenger services and had an elaborate network where messages to Chapo had to be passed through two or three levels of communication. They called each of these these messenger passers uh, mirrors. So there's this whole network of BlackBerry communication that went up up the chain of command to Chapo. And that worked great for a while until the feds figured out how to to get wiretaps for that and were able to do sort of an unprecedented scale of rolling wiretaps that captured hundreds of thousands of, of messages for uh, El Chapo's whole organization. And that that was one of the key uh, factors in his prosecution and conviction in New York and also led to the indictments of uh, his sons and also uh, his partner, El Mayo Zambada's sons as well. 
Now, how about how about now? Like, are there? Because obviously, if 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 Chapo was doing this himself, I mean, this is back, like you said, the you know the twenty teens. How about now? Because I know you've you've done some pretty extensive reporting on CGNG, and they're, they're sort of for those who who don't know, kind of Mexico's biggest and most uh, powerful cartel at the moment, if, if I'm not mistaken. Cartel de Jalisco Nueva Generación (CJNG) is the single criminal organization most responsible for these deaths on both sides of the border. The Jalisco New Generation Cartel took the fight to the next level, shooting down a military helicopter with a rocket-propelled grenade. Tonight, the DEA is offering $10 million for information leading to the arrest of the Mexican drug kingpin known as El Mencho. Yeah, CJNG, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, is is sort of the new kid on the block, the most powerful upstart cartel. The Sinaloa Cartel still exists and is a force to be reckoned with, but those two are sort of responsible for the the majority of drugs coming into the U.S. and a, a big share of the violence in Mexico. And in terms of the communications they're using now, um, it depends. I mean, f- for the most part, it's it's surprisingly low-tech in my experience. Um, a lot of, of WhatsApp, despite the security concerns that come with with Facebook owning WhatsApp and, and questions about- A lot of WhatsApp. A lot of WhatsApp. I mean, it's, it's sort of the, the most popular mode of communication in Mexico- among just average folks. And, you know, a lot of the lower level drug guys are just average folks who got caught up in that world or, you know, found work that way. So it's not a surprise that they're, they're using WhatsApp. Um, I know that Signal is, is definitely used uh, at the higher levels based on my conversations with some sources there, people who, who are communicating at that level. It, just like anybody else, there there's trust in that, the encryption that Signal offers. Um, but on the ground, when you're you're there in the zones that are controlled by cartels, um, the most striking thing to me is the use of of walkie talkies, just straight up Motorola handheld radio devices that are used to to communicate uh, locally among the the different cells and networks, and are incredibly effective uh, at you know being reliable, uh, hard to crack, and sort of ubiquitous. Like anybody can use it. And it, it allows them, you know, if they put these walkie-talkies in enough hands on enough street corners to know what's going on in a city or, or area at any given time. Well, it's funny because you discussed sort of the idea of the many, the many messengers that uh, Chapo used to sort of insulate himself from being found out because he couldn't use, you know, regular communications to be found. And then even this idea of, of using the low-tech walkie-talkie, it, you know, Bin Laden used couriers and you know that the Taliban uses low-tech walkie-talkies actually incredibly effectively and it's been something that that you know those organizations have used because they knew that they had sort of the entire weight of the American signals intelligence apparatus against it so it it seems to work (laughs) because then you're looking at something like the cartels and they're doing the same thing and I think they're continuing to be pretty successful Absolutely. And they, they also piggyback on the existing infrastructure in Mexico. Like they're not using walkie talkies. You don't have to uh, create such an elaborate custom network. All you need is an antenna and some signal repeaters. And there's many documented cases of them putting their signal repeaters and antennas on cell towers and existing radio towers sort of blend in. They call them uh, parasite antennas or narco antennas. Uh, This is remarkably common thing. And there's even been some recent reporting that 
maintenance workers that work for telecom companies in Mexico have been threatened on the job for, you know, just going to, to service these uh, cell towers because criminal groups are concerned that they're going to disturb their communications network. And there's also been some reports that, that these companies have to pay the cartels like a quota, sort of a protection thing, just to be able to go and, and access their own sites and property just because they're, that communication is so important to them. Wow. I mean, that makes sense because like it would seem that, you know, at the, the, the infrastructure levels where you'd want, if you were the cartels, you'd want to be able to, to meddle with in order to actually, you know, hide yourself. Because I mean, again, you can, you can do these man in the middle attacks where you create a fake cell tower and, you know, suddenly your communications are owned by whoever's trying to find you. So I'd imagine they would, they would go after some of the, you know, the bigger, the bigger uh, telecommunications companies in Mexico in order to do this. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a handful of reports of uh, workers being kidnapped and f- forced to work uh, for the cartels in this capacity of maintaining their radio networks, you know, using their expertise in this area to, to keep them secure. Um, you know, we, we've, you only hear about the ones uh, that, that manage to get out or, or worse turn up dead. So it's hard to say how common that is. I think equally or more common is just straight up paying. There's no shortage of, of money with these guys, right, to hire folks who are willing to do it. And there's been some, some people who've gotten busted for that. Uh, most notably, there was a guy who worked, he ran like a radio, like a pretty low profile radio shop uh, on the border in Texas. And it was later revealed that he'd set up this massive radio network uh, for the Zetas cartel just across the border in Mexico. So that leads me to another question. Like when it comes to actually smuggling drugs into the U.S., obviously, you know, like you said, Zetas, or not Zetas, Sinaloa and CGNG still, you know, bring in some of the, you know, the majority of, of drugs into the U.S. And they're still able to do it. Do they do anything specifically that you know of that kind of keeps them from being found out in terms of technology that is sort of, you know, whether it's... Uh, being able to sort of use radio beacons rather than uh, other types to avoid being detected by law enforcement? Or is it just like as simple as no, where they go completely, completely, completely low tech to get stuff over the border? I mean, it's, it's probably going to vary up and down the border. In my experience, uh, I'll use this example. I just recently wrote a piece uh, for vice.com about uh, human smuggling along the border, uh, getting people across, which is, you know, controlled by the same organizations that, that control drug smuggling for the most part. And there it's, it's incredibly low tech. It's, you have people boots on the ground on one side of the border with walkie talkies or cell phones uh, with WhatsApp, just straight up watching, keeping an eye to see the movements of the border patrol and any sort of folks mm-hmm. on the U S side, who could be a problem. And then when they move out of the zone, they're able to walkie-talkie to their people, pass that message along, and get across. Um, and it's it's pretty stunning that that just something that simple can undermine billions of dollars in surveillance, manpower, all of the resources that the U.S. is throwing at the border can be undone by a simple walkie-talkie and some vigilance on on the part of the smugglers. I think that's, I mean, that's a great way to kind of cap this off. It's, you know, like I said, you have the U.S. government and all of its massive cyber industrial powers that it aims at its multitude of enemies or perceived enemies around the world. And in the end, they're kind of easily thwarted by just some, just some patience, <laughs> some classic patience. 
Yeah. And, and it's the old, like the lower the tech, the, the harder it is to, to crack in some ways. Like I've written previously about the U S um, nuclear missile infrastructure and how old that technology is. And that makes it harder to crack because it's so offline. It's so not of this era. And so you've seen the cartels get burned when they try to go higher tech than they're familiar with. Like El Chapo is the, the best example of, he, he tried to outsmart and go with the newest, hottest thing. And that landed him in prison for life in the United States. And I think there were definitely people in Mexico who work in, in smuggling and organized crime who were watching that and thinking, I'm not going to make that same mistake. I'm going to stick with my walkie talkies and my, my simple signal app and be safe. Also, don't fall for a soap opera star and trust Sean Penn. Never trust Sean Penn. That is also solid advice. <laughs> okay, well, Keegan, thank you for coming back, or thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to keep looking to see what you come up with next because your reports are, honestly, they're, they're completely wild, and everyone should check them out. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Lorenzo, I got to be honest with you. We have two stories today that I want to get through, and then I want to talk about aliens fucking really bad. Yeah. Um, All right, Benny. Because, like, like, it's just incredible. Um, anyway, but let's, let's, you know, this is a, this is, this first one is an update to our last week's episode where our president, Mr. Joe Biden, gave a little update as to what happened with this, this gas pipeline colonial pipeline hack. So I'll let you take it away from here. Yeah, we talked about this a lot uh, last week. It was the biggest story in the US. Um, you know, the the hack that forced colonial pipeline to shut down one of the most important uh, pipelines to move gas across the United States. And at the end of the week, President Biden came out and uh, directly addressed his uh, cyber attack, his ransomware incident, which is by itself is already very significant because uh, it doesn't happen very very often that presidents talk about cybersecurity in general and uh, about specific incidents. And this tells us a few things. One is that this ransomware attack was very you know impactful because it forced the company to shut down a huge pipeline, caused people to freak out and put gas in plastic bags and stuff like that. And also, it shows that you know this administration is taking cybersecurity seriously and it's trying to really position itself as a you know 
an administration that cares, whereas, you know, the previous one was not really that in, interested in it. And I think that the big takeaway from uh, Biden's press conference was that he does not believe absolutely that uh, Vladimir Putin and the Russian government had, had anything to do with this. And I think that's important to say because a lot of people obviously have been putting this out as a theory that maybe the Russian government is behind this uh, cybercrime group. And this was just, you know, another fa uh, false flag attempt by Russia to steer trouble. Which, you know, it's po it, was, it was possible because they've done that in the past, but it doesn't really look like they did it here. Yeah, we actually pointed that out last week that, you know, people like to sort of liken these Eastern European hacking groups as some shadowy hand of the Kremlin. But at times they really are just, you know, they're carting and criminal enterprises that don't really take cues from anybody. But uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was a it was a good it was a good uh, clarification of what actually happened. I mean, to be to be fair, the Obama administration was pretty well known for this. Like even when stuff like the Sony hack happened, they they came out and actually said it. So, you know, if that's sort of some of the the we can expect for things to come, that's not bad. That's good. Yeah, agreed. So this this next one, I'm going to tell everyone, all, all the listeners out there. When Lorenzo was reading this, he actually had to take a break because he said it was breaking my brain. But you know what, Lorenzo? I have my head in a lot of insane conspiracies all day for the work that I do. So this didn't shock me. But basically, on unvaccinated TikTok, yes, just like, you know, the different subsets of, of Twitter that we see out there. On unvaccinated TikTok, there is a group of people who believe that they're going to be the lone survivors, basically the ones who don't take this the, the vaccine and the rest of us that have taken the vaccine, myself included, Lorenzo as well, will uh, die in some sort of, I mean, I don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like there's some sort of apocalypse coming for the people that have gotten the uh, nanobots injected into their bloodstream. Yeah, so this story was very sad for me to read because it just shows how crazy some people are, uh, to be honest with you. So yeah, you you summed it up pretty well. I think it's important to also point out that a lot of these uh, TikTok users like to uh, include uh, audio from uh, the original Transformers movie, uh, quoting Optimus Prime, you know, putting out a call for... Autobots, survivors, you know, saying we're here, we're waiting. And it's just like, you know, th this would be funny as if, if it was a joke, but it seems like people really believe this. Um, you know, they believe that somehow people vaccinated like us will die uh, at the latest in three years. And so they're putting out the conspiracy theory that, you know, you, you absolutely should avoid getting vaccinated because this is just some sort of plot to kill off everyone. So, yeah, um, you know, I think that all the, you know, jokes apart, this really shows that uh, TikTok is way less mature compared to other platforms like Instagram and Facebook or even Twitter, who have done <laughs> a better job moderating, even though they're not great. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to say that. Uh, yeah, I, I actually want to make great. a I want to make a rolling on that. I, Facebook is still sort of the bastion of a lot of just absurd stuff, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't trying to say that, you know, they've done a great job. What I'm saying is that TikTok seems to be doing even worse. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think I think I think Facebook is really good at paying lip service to doing a good job of doing it. 
Yeah, and I think also, you know, TikTok is huge among very young people uh, who, are, who may be more impressionable. So I think it's probably even more important for them to do a better job at moderating uh, yeah. than f- for the others. What is, is, is the Gen Z, like, platform of choice? We're too old for it, Lorenzo. We're, we're the Instagram generation. Yeah, we're the we're geriatric millennials at this point. Listen, I'm going to embrace it. I that word, the word, what's that word that people that Gen Z uses for people that like of the millennial generation that dress like shit? I can't even pronounce it. It's like C H E U G Y, like chuggy, chuggy. I don't know because I dress very well. So, oh jeez, here you are. There you go. No, it's like it's it's like yeah, yeah. Pronounce chuggy. Pronounced Chugi. Chugi. Any Gen yeah. Z listeners out there of this, absolutely feel free to completely roast me for this uh, this little tangent. All right, cue the music. It has been an absolutely monumental week in the UFO world, but I got to tell you, Lorenzo, I've been ahead of this. I've been ahead of this fucking curve for a long time. I've been down and believing in UFOs. I've been saying stuff like, hey, any of the, remember those leaked videos? Any aircraft that moves like that is not even human. There's no human, not our, our enemies have that technology. We don't have that technology. I remember arguing with an ex about this where we literally argued, where we yelled, because I was like, I believe. And she was, you know, she was actually being quite, um, what's the word for it? She was being suspicious of information, so it's a good thing. But it's, 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 it's all this to say, this has been out there for a while. I was, I think I was right. I think we were right. We at Motherboard have been all over this right from the beginning. But now you have uh, the Pentagon even saying that there's stuff that outdates their aircraft by like a thousand years or something. A thousand years. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that you've been the, the proverbial Fox Mulder, you know. I have, I have. Uh, sitting in your basement office throwing... Uh, pencils at the floor at the ceiling eating your all, sunflower seeds first of all lorenzo first of all lorenzo this is it's a i dug out a i dug out a, a closet i'm speaking into a closet right now not that i don't normally speak into a closet when i'm on my own but it's not that scary is is it because you're trying to avoid like uh, aliens uh, beams into <laughs> your brain i am i mean you should be too <laughs> I, I have a team for a hat at this point, they're going to come down and beam my ass up. They're going to leave you behind. <laughs> Jokes apart, this is very interesting. Uh, it is. It's, it's amazing. It's it's amazing. It's a story that uh, quotes some, um, like a Navy pilot that spoke with 60 Minutes th- this week and talked about his, his, his own experience, um, his own direct experience, witnessing something that he, he thinks is uh, alien technology. Um, and there's a great phrase that I'm not going to be able to quote now because I did it. I, for, I forgot it, but basically the Navy, the Navy pilot says, you know, I'm not telling you that UFOs exist. The Pentagon has told you that already. I'm telling you that, you know, we're way past that. So, so yeah, this is fascinating. You know, it's really interesting to see how the discussion has moved so quickly in the last couple of years from, you know, yeah. a fringe topic to, you know, a story that is on the New York Times that we cover regularly that, you know, very serious people are taking, yeah, are taken seriously. And not only that, like, I think, I think in the last few months, it's picked up a massive amount of steam because I think people have really, 
really started to examine this from the perception of like, look, this is, I mean, it's like I was saying, like when I, when I first saw that, I wasn't thinking to myself, green little men or like those videos from, I believe it was December, 2017 when it was released. But I remember when I saw them, it's, it's not so much that these vehicles look like, you know, a flying saucer that we've, we've, you know, because become such a massive part of our, our pop culture. It's like, those things are moving. That's a that's a real video of those things moving. We also have, you know, uh, firsthand accounts from extremely smart scientist engineer pilots who are all like, that was a vehicle moving at a, a absurd speed. And then you just have to ask yourself the question, like, where did that come from? Like, what in what in what in the world actually can produce any type of technology like that? And then the answer is the answer is no. The answer is nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I think the Pentagon has a lot of uh, questions to answer. And the good news is that they promised um, a comprehensive report to be published before June first of this year. So hopefully we'll get some more clarity about these uh, mysterious uh, flying objects. And uh, and yeah, we'll finally find out what we've deeply you know lo- known for a long time that aliens exist. Like Blink-182 used to sing back in the day. Yeah, but I'm just like, part of me is just like, okay, so how come we haven't seen them? Like, why have they decided not to see us if they do exist uh, in that way? Like, what? Like, what? what? Like, are they, are they <laughs> like watching us? <laughs> Maybe they're just oh, watching I don't like us. That. Maybe. Just remind, that just reminds me, just reminds me of that, that part in, the, in Signs. Remember the movie Signs? Where he's yeah, like, I, I did like that movie when I saw it, by the way, full disclosure. I, 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 listen, I actually did really like that movie, except for like the really weird, like overtly biblical ending. That was like, mm. anyway, that was a little, that was a little weird. Um, but yeah, I agreed. It's like, it was, it was, it, it's definitely very scary. Like remember when the, the alien like emerges and all the kids at that Brazilian party see it and they're like, ah! Yeah, probably worth rewatching to see if it has aged well. My suspicion is it hasn't. I remember watching it, I think, two years ago after some of these disclosures. And I was like, this has the first like, again, yeah, like the first like three quarters of it have aged well. Um, but the like the remainder of it has not. Well, because it just becomes all like that weird, you know, overtly Judeo-Christian heavy handed symbolism that you used to see in like the 90s and early 2000s you know that was like a real plot point just mm. it hasn't aged well yeah but that's anyway fair. but yeah more more interesting stuff or ufos and more interesting stuff know, keep an eye on uh, motherboard because we're gonna keep an eye on the aliens for you oh yeah all right i'll catch you later talk to you soon benny bye bye Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.